There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1126. Hey, it's time to talk about you, the ID10T community events at ID10T.com. Like Jordan, who writes, well, I've done it. After nearly eight years of listening to the podcast, I finally started my own podcast. It's called The Gallifreyan Files, and it's an excuse for me, a black, blind, and agender nerd, to ramble about Doctor Who. I'm currently working through the 10, quote, most disappointing, then 10 best stories, according to Gizmodo's 2015 ranking of all the stories from 1963 onward. I'm so excited that I'm putting my opinion into the world and not just talking back to my podcast listening device. Uh, the podcast is available. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Play. Uh, Jordan, what a fantastic thing that you're doing. I mean, yes, you know, like, I think any of us who started a thing were fans first. And then we were like, you know what, I think I want to make a thing now. So uh, congratulations on um, coming to the side of content creator. Um, your podcast sounds fantastic. And what a great structure to march through um, all the episodes from that list and to weigh in on it. Maybe you'll agree with some of it and maybe you won't. And that's why uh, people should listen. And then also, you know, uh, remember why they loved uh, Doctor Who and, and maybe where to start if they're thinking about uh, diving in to, you know, 60, almost 60 years of, uh, <laughs> of Doctor Who episodes. Uh, and I do believe that I'm going to guess that there are probably more than a few Doctor Who fans uh, who listen to this podcast. So, uh, again, it's called The Gallifreyan Files. And uh, check it out wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much, Jordan, for submitting events at ID10T.com for anyone else who wants to uh, get your stuff up on the corkboard. Let's talk about this episode. Sam Richardson, who is a brilliant actor and an amazing comedy writer and performer. Um, he's been in such fantastic stuff. Um, Sam uh, was a co-creator and a writer and a producer and an actor on Detroiters. Um, he was on Veep uh, for three or four years. Um, he is in The Tomorrow War, which uh, just came out today, July 2nd. Um, and also, uh, he came on the podcast to promote Werewolves Within, which looks fantastic. Um, it's in theaters now. It's on digital rental, rental and VOD July 2nd, which is also today. Um, and uh, it just looks great. So I highly recommend it. It's like a, well, it's basically like a, uh, I, like a, a dark comedy horror uh, movie about werewolves. And uh, I'm really excited about it. So um, thank you so much, Sam, for coming on the podcast. And also, Sam has a, a, 
an encyclopedic knowledge of of television from the last several decades, which we talk about. Um, also has a background in um, comedy sketch and uh, improv. So um, just a really, really great, super funny dude. And uh, it was a real joy to have him on. So here we go. The ID10T podcast number 1126 with Sam Richardson as we roll the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol. Chris, how are you? I'm okay, how are you? I'm also okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you. Good to see you too. I, I was just thinking the other day, I, I remember taking this picture, I think it was at a Comedy Central upfront in maybe 2017. Yes. Were you in that? I think you might have been in that. that. I was in that. It was like literally everyone who was on the channel at the time. And I think the only person in that picture who's still on the channel is Trevor. And literally <laughs> everyone else is not there. Plate wiped clean. Just so true. Completely. I was just talking to my producer, Katie, before you hopped on. And we were talking about, she was like, man, I love Detroiters. And I go, it would have been so awesome if there was like five or six seasons of, of that show for when pandemic happened on Netflix. Like, yeah, people would have watched the shit out of it, you know? And I said, yeah, but you have to understand in the four years that At Midnight was on, Jon Stewart left, Stephen Colbert left, John Oliver left, Kean Peel left, Amy Schumer left, Workaholics finished, like <laughs> your show. Like literally the whole identity of the channel with just in a four-year period, just cleared out. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And like, I'm I'm trying to think. Like, yeah, Trevor's there. Trevor's there. Yeah. Uh, and like, if there was nobody there from South Park, it was like Trevor in South Park is like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it was fun. It was a really fun time, and I remember that being a really like. To me, it sort of felt like. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched, I know you watched a lot of TV growing up because I saw your thing on Conan where you did all the theme songs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you remember Do you remember Laugh Olympics? Do you know what Laugh Olympics was? Oh, yeah, yeah. All the uh, Hanna-Barbera. Uh... Right. Yeah. So for me, that was like being in Laugh Olympics. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, it's, oh, hey, there's Amy and there's Trevor and there's, you know, there's Ricky and, and Natasha and, you know, <laughs> Broad City. The Broad City was there. Broad City was there, too. So it was, yeah. I like we're all in character the whole time too. Yeah, because it's 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 it's, the, it's that moment where you're like, where you're a fan of everyone, so you're like, holy shit, and then you realize like, oh, I kind of work like we all. I think yeah. I'm part of this. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Like like looking at that. I don't remember the last time I looked at that photo, but it was like really a cool thing to see. It was like, oh, these are my contemporaries. Like I'm, I'm just like watch because I, I mean I've, I've always watched Comedy Central. You know what I mean? I, and so like I was like, oh yeah. You know, cool. A Comedy Central photo, like a bunch of. Oh no, I'm there, and so's Tim. And like, yeah, yeah you have a show. Like you're you're in it. You are totally. you are you are part of you are Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I was surprised that because some of the theme songs that you seem to know by heart 
are they predate you. Yes. So so that means that you I, I felt a kinship to you because I was also a devoted TV fanatic. Yeah. And a lot of TV trivia floating around in my head that take the place of things like people's names that I know now or where my keys are. 100%. So, uh, what, what you, so you just nonstop just, like absorbed as much television as possible. Yes, truly. Like, and I was, I, th- I think I saw a, uh, it was like a meme or, or something we're talking about like how kids will never understand, uh, the idea of just like watching a show because it's on, mm-hmm. you know, cause like, it's just like what was on TV it was what was, I was watching. So I'm like watching dear John and I'm watching, you know, it's a living <laughs> you know, and I'm like, ah, TV. oh my god, that show! It's a living. Life's not different Riviera. They were like cocktail waitresses, right? It was like, yep, exactly. like Anne Billion and and this whole, and they were just like snarky cocktail waitresses. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh god, I completely, I there, I completely forgot that show existed. There were some weird fucking shows. Just so weird. But to me, I was just like, yeah, that's that's just television, you know? <laughs> I mean, do you, having absorbed so much television, can you imagine doing anything else? <laughs> no. No, I got my 10,000 hours uh, <laughs> just sitting in front of the screen. <laughs> so let's see. If you were born in probably, I'm guessing, in the mid to late 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you caught mid, okay. So you, you sort of caught, you, you must've caught the comedy boom, like the eighties, the full on, like, like I still occasionally will watch some of the old Dangerfield young comedian specials. Oh yeah. 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 And just see like, you know, Oh, what happened to that? Oh, where they, oh, they're still working. Oh, you know, they die, you know, just kind of like going through, mm-hmm. were you as obsessed with stand up, or were you, was it, was uh, it more like just sketch and, and. Uh, a, a bit. I wasn't like super obsessed with with stand up, but I would always like remember watching like a Star Search and seeing a stand up on there, and then being like, "Oh, I know him from Star Search," you know. Such a weird show. I mean, like <laughs> we have AGT now, but AGT is sort of like, except for when they're doing the auditions. Like when people are on AGT, they're generally like, "Well, these are the these are kind of the best people at what they do," right? And Star Search was like, let's roll the dice. You know, let's roll the dice. Let's see. This guy says he can juggle. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Two stars. Two stars. Three and a half stars. Two and three quarter stars. <laughs> but, and Star Search was really Yelp for performing. <laughs> <laughs> it was in time. <laughs> <laughs> Two stars. Would not watch again. <laughs> I love your career because it's you 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 you've had this really great parallel between being a creator and also and being a creator of good shows and good content and also just being on good stuff, you know? Like it's yeah. yeah. It's kind of a nice and it feels at least from what I gather, you never know what people's actual journey is unless you really sit down and talk to them at length. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of seems like right out of the gate, you were working on really cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was very, I was very fortunate, like coming out to LA. Uh, Cause like the very first thing I worked on the very like first uh, Hollywood set was arrested development. Mm-hmm. You yep. Know? Yep. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> it was incredible. And I'm like working with Jason Bateman, you know, and then and then right after that, 
and it aired before Arrested Development, but I was I had a, a series recurring on The Office. Mm-hmm. So like it's just like straight up, I got to work on two amazing shows. Yeah, which I like. <laughs> is unheard of. I mean, that's not to say that I just like showed up to LA with like two suitcases and was like, and a dream, you know, but uh, I like definitely, uh, I know there was a queue that I could have been standing in for a long time. And I was like fortunate enough to kind of get to straight up just show, you know, my stuff like right off the bat. (laughs) But you also, your background is Second City, isn't it? Second City, yeah. Yeah, so you you had, at least you had sort of like a comedy pedigree training coming in that people were already aware of. I mean, there's definitely like, a, oh, you know, like there's, whether it's Second City or UCB or, or Groundlings or whatever, it, it definitely helps not only open doors, but, but, the, but the performance track y'all are on in those programs is so insane that you're so, would, I mean, do you think, do you feel like, it seems like you're so hyper-prepared and trained yes. for, to get dropped into anything at a moment's notice. 100%. And like going through even like, the, my background from, I, I first started Second City when I was uh, 16 in Detroit. Uh, and in Detroit, so I came up through there. And then like by the time I was like working on the stages and like performing and like getting paid to do it, you know, uh, understudying the main stage and then performing on the main stage. Uh, the Detroit audiences for sketch and improv were very blue collar. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely like uh, resistance training because you had to get out there, you had to get them on your side immediately, you know? So like, there was no like sort of, uh, we had to like pair the art with like just grind, you know? So we had to like get out there and like no. We had to get a laugh within like the first three lines, otherwise we'd be in trouble. Uh, and then from that, then we like like learn how to like kind of then then we get comfortable in it, you know. So, but like when you're first starting, I, I feel like people come up in Chicago or like improvising in Chicago, it was different, you know, because like the, the audiences already expect, you know, they're already like, oh, this is Second City, so I know I'm going to give them the patience because they're going to they're going to find something. They're improvising. So, ooh, I wonder what magic happens from this. But in Detroit, they're like, this better be, I should, I paid $30 for this. (laughs) (laughs) I know that. And that's such an interesting thing about comedies because audiences are not aware that they have just a little bit of work to do. And that little bit of work is just being open to just, they have to just, they don't have to meet you halfway. They just have to meet you a little bit of the way you know, like if you see, if you know that people are having more fun in the audience, you're funnier because you're feeding off that energy. Exactly that, you know, and like, especially like live comedy and in theater, like, like the show will be better because we feed off of each other, yeah. you know, like the laughs or like just the attentive energy. Uh, you're so receptive to that. I remember I got so much better. Uh, I mean, I, I, I feel like I, I, one moment where I sort of, felt my uh, improv and like my comedy and my acting kind of like ramped up a notch was I was performing uh, on the touring company Second City in Chicago. And I, uh, I'd always knew I knew I needed glasses, (laughs) but then I got glasses and contacts and all of a sudden I was on stage and I could see faces 
And I was like, oh my God. Like, like, this is... <laughs> like ah, you, oh, okay. And you're, I can see you respond to this moment and you respond to this moment. I can wrap that up, but I see that you hate this. So I'm going to actually do that more because I like to see that from you, you know? Oh my God, that whole time you were performing partially blindfolded and you had no idea. Exactly, it was just like a blur. I was like, oh, I guess this is what it is, you know? People are just, and maybe that also was like helpful for me to like get comfortable on stage that like I didn't even know it. It's like, imagine everybody in their underwear. I'm just like, they're just like a blur. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sure. You do it, you hear sounds. They can't see each other's express. I don't know how, oh. Oh, oh, it's just me. It was just my eyes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, this is how people are supposed to, oh, shit. Oh, my God. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they, I can see teeth and things now. Let's redo those, let's just, let's just redo those other shows. We should just go redo all the other ones. Right. <laughs> can we do that? Is that right? Can we do that? Can we go back? That, that is such a, that's such an amazing place to train. Like, that environment is such an amazing environment to train in because... You know, I always I would always say like L.A. is not the best place in the world to learn comedy because you're essentially performing for other performers, which can be fun because but but they're all sort of the shows. A lot of the shows are very inside because yeah. inside baseball, because everyone is kind is somewhat in the same boat. But when you go to a place that does not have the entertainment industry as its core industry, you get a random assortment of people and and. All of the bad, ha- all of the habits that I learned on stage learning comedy in LA turned out were bad habits. And, uh, you know, people in Indianapolis don't really care about your audition story, it turns out, because right, they right. have not been on auditions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, cool. I auditioned for a play in high school once. You know, <laughs> like this. Yeah. Like, it. funny, but I don't know why you're telling this now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like $30. <laughs> so, did you and like, it feels like also the same, like, on that same note, like, or, or uh, learning improv in LA, uh, it feels like it's automatically uh, a rung in a many ladder, a many stepped ladder, you know? Whereas like if you're learning improv in Michigan or in Chicago, that's like the, that that is the brass ring. You know what I mean? Like doing the fit, like, like, so I feel like in LA people learn it because I got to learn this so I can audition for TV and I can audition right. for movies. Whereas like in Michigan, or in Detroit, you're learning improv so you can perform improv, right? You know, and I mean, right. that's not, of course, it's not across the board. That's not like, you know, everybody who in LA or like in New York or whatever, because there's so many brilliant, some of the best improvisers in the world, like started and like are yeah. from there. But it, it feels like the the eyes kind of look past that, and like, and, and you get so many people in classes in, in LA where their agents told them to take an improv class. Right. You know? Right. Versus like in Detroit, it's like, oh, I know, I, I know Second City. I know improv. I want to come and perform. I here. want to do improv, not just sharpen my skills. I mean, improv training is amazing for anything, I think, just because of the way it forces you to just commit and also work as a team, mm-hmm. which as stand-ups, you know, we're, I'm, we're not always good at doing because we're just so used to sort of being in charge of the environment and, you know, and, but... But it's such amazing, it's such amazing training. But I think it's that way in LA because when after when the comedy boom ended at about 92, but then like all but then there were all these sitcoms like Seinfeld and Home Improvement, and they were basically stand-up-centric uh, shows. Yep. Then there was this like rush 
for like comedians were getting deals left. Like you would just need to have, you needed to have like a tonight show set or like a type five to get a deal. And so then it was incentivized in the nineties to just have like, you know, who, what's who, what, we didn't use the word brand, but that's basically what it was. Like, mm-hmm. what's your point of view in five minutes on stage as the basis for a sitcom go. Right. And it read this kind of weird other type of comedy that was very short form uh-huh. and very like punchy and like, here's who I am and just a few jokes. And, and again, sort of like you were saying, without necessarily pursuing stand up as the art, but more of, like you said, it's like a me as a commerce, like as a means to an end, uh-huh. which is a slightly different, you know, and I'm not saying one's better than the other, but it was just a, it was just a slightly different iteration of the comedy that you would see if you went to Detroit or Indianapolis or Reno or whatever, which is just like, I worked all day. I don't, you know, I don't want, I'm, I just want to turn over my time to you right now mm-hmm. and not have to think about anything other than, you know, having fun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Do you miss the live performance? I do sometimes, but then like sometimes when I, when I do it again, sometimes I'm always like, Oh, I've got this pressure on me because like, like I don't do it so often. So I feel like when you're getting your reps and you're performing every day, you're like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to do another show tomorrow or this one. Goes. You're not even thinking about like before or after. You're just like, I'm doing it. But when you haven't improvised in three months, you're like, oh, man, I haven't improvised in three months. Uh, oops. And then you're in it, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, yes. And uh, 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 aliens. <laughs> Shit. Oh, God, I haven't done this in a while. Yeah. Uh, do you, and do then you, there's like a feels like there's a pressure also where everybody's like, don't worry, everything this guy's gonna say is gonna be a one hilarious. So I, hmm, that's kind of like opened a jar. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's like a funny jar. <laughs> hmm. No. <laughs> this is uh, this jar is not that. I, I've seen funnier jars. I don't understand <laughs> what's the jar you're. No freaking snakes even popped out of it. What? Okay. Which, as we all agree, is the funniest kind of jar. It is the funniest kind of jar. <laughs> like maybe some sort of like fart jar, but I don't know if we have that technology yet. You know what? Farts in the bottom, snakes in the top. Why have we not made the snake fart jar? I mean, my God. It's, we're, I mean, we're, we could be millionaires. Someone's be- going to invent something like that and be, a, what did your dad do? He invented it. I don't like to talk about it. What is it? Wow. <laughs> You ever seen those fucking jars that fart? Oh my god, the snake fart jar! That uh, snake fart jar. Your dad snake fart jar guy. What up? I don't want to talk about. It. You have snake fart money. I don't. I don't want to talk about this. You have a responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> we we've been making these for six generations. <laughs> the family line of snake fart just never. They were able to corner the. I don't know though. It you know like it, I always wonder for as you gotten significantly more recognizable and famous in the last handful of years. What you sort of said is that pressure of like, you know, when, when, when you're a young performer and people don't know who you are, you sort of feel like, Oh, I can, you know, whatever. I, there's no expectation. I can, you know, mm-hmm. do you feel any, do you really kind of feel that pressure sometimes if, if you were to get on stage, like I, you know, these people probably, they know who I am. And is that, does that affect the choices that I make or like, because you can't really have any fear or roadblocks, especially when you're doing improv. You have to just be free-flowing. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I feel I do feel that. And then, like, there's, there's at least there's a couple steps to, like, not feel that anymore. And, but then, like, that whole time I'm feeling that, I'm like, oh, but I'm feeling this. And then in, in those moments, I'm not in the moment, you right. know? 
So like the whole time I'm aware of myself. And like part of it is that you have to be unaware. You have to just completely be blank. And like, of course, like, you know, the frameworks of how scenes and improv and like the ma- and like the macro view of the show and all that works. But for that second, even where I'm like kind of double thinking, I'm like, oh, well, I haven't, I haven't entered a scene in like two scenes. All right. Now I've got, now I've got to come out at the top of this scene. And now I've, and you're like, oh, no, 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 just improvise. Just, you're, you're watching the show and you're in, the, you're part of the show. But like that sort of, uh, that, that sort of delay and that awareness, I feel like kind of <laughs> uh, echo chambers itself. Right. And, you know, but then once I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, that's right. This is what I, I love this so much. I dedicated my life to this for well, years that's where all and the years. Training comes in too, where you just, where you can let go and then know like, Oh, that's right. I've done this for years. I know how to do this. And I used to just, like get out of your head. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How much was um was Detroiters partially improvised or was uh, it? No, we mostly scripted it, but we we would like improvise in the because we were, you know, we, right. we wrote the whole thing. So uh, and, and not, not, the two of us didn't just write it. There was four of us who created the show. And then we'd have a writer's room, but we, the four of us were in there every day. And like Tim and I would just kind of talk the lines and yeah. like kind of get it to where we knew we wanted it. There were some things that were like improvised, uh, but for the most part, we like kind of knew exactly what we wanted to write. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you prefer that experience to like, you know, you know, Veep, you show up on the show, which is just a murderer's row of like the funniest people <laughs> in comedy and they go, oh, here you go. And you just show up and you don't have to worry about edits or you don't have to worry about takes or you don't have to worry about, you just show up and you get to perform. You and do a- the thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, both, you know, I, I, I appreciated doing that on Veep so much because I was able to just kind of be Richard Splat and like kind of just like get the size and like kind of know that, like, all right, this is, this is what I get to like singularly focus on and like, time myself to everybody else, but I'm, I, I have no responsibility for anybody else but myself. I don't have to look at this and like go check the monitors and be like, oh, how, no, that's not my job. My job is just to do this, which I, I fully love that. But like Detroit was great though, because like every part of it, which is also a part of its frustration is like <laughs> every single decision, every single moment and like word and line or like, it, it, even now into the edit was like, oh, I I know every decision being made here. You don't even think about it. You, you come to set and you're like, what color is the tablecloth? I'm like, oh, I don't. It's a tablecloth, right? Like, 
well, no, we got to know. Do you want green? Do you want green checkered? Do you want, I'm like, oh, uh, <laughs> but, then, but then like you, <laughs> but, but of course you have to answer that question. Cause then like all of a sudden, then everybody else, then everything, nothing matches, you know? But there's, a, there's a, certainly a sense of like full ownership when you've done something like that, you know. Yeah, but then they, but then you go, they go, well, it could be green or green checkered. Fine, green checkered. Well, that's going to strobe with the camp. Why did you offer that as an option? Why'd you ask? Why'd you ask? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Make it orange. Well, I don't know. The floor is orange. That's gonna. I don't know. I just, I just want to make jokes. I just want to make jokes. I don't know how to build a kitchen set. I just. I thought that just happened. <laughs> I don't, you know, like yeah. coming up to Harry Anderson and saying, what shape is your gavel? It's gavel shaped. I don't gavel. know. Uh, I'm doing a magic trick. What are you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. I can't, my thumb's disconnecting here. What's the, what's the I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. I do. I do. I miss. I mean, I guess just because it's a time that we grew up in where, where sitcoms were absolute king, you know? Mm-hmm. But it does feel like now the traditional sitcom is not dead, but it's not it's not as much a thing, you know? Like, it's just yes. not that, you know, everyone's watching this one episode and it's like, it's comedy on its Thursday night and it's fucking, you know, it just... Yeah, I don't know. I kind of miss those days. Me, me too. You know, and like, like, uh, yeah. As TVs evolve, like, sort of like the multicam TV shows aren't as prevalent or as popular and that sort of thing. But there was something to, like, you know, you watch Home Improvements and you know, like, your band of players and they're going to be in this house and they're going to go in that garage and they're going to go to uh, uh, Benford too. They're going to go to the uh, Tool Time set. Uh, and then you're going to get some advice from uh, Wilson and you like, you, you get, there's a comfortability, you know, and like, you're like, Oh, come Halloween. It's going to be an amazing Halloween episode right. where he's going to like make a haunted house. And it's going to be it's like, like that sort of thing that doesn't exist. Or at least it's, it's, it's not what the television experience fully is anymore. And I do miss that. And like, as a kid, I was like, Oh, I'm oh, one day I'm going to get to be on a sitcom like that. You know? Yeah. I want, and I don't, and I, you know, now I don't think that's, the case at least not for me have you pitched this have you pitched like a traditional four camera sitcom before uh, i have not i uh because <laughs> always all my 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 uh, whenever i start like thinking about like okay how about this would be like a a four camera sitcom and i'm like i'm always i always go so genre i'm like how about this one roommate is a secret agent another one's a superhero but one's a dracula and then the other one, and I'm like, no, it's too much stuff. I, like, I, want, I want to do that so bad. <laughs> I, listen, I was in. I don't know why no. I would have. I would have greenlit. I would have greenlit that show, but not. You know, I don't think, and I don't even think you mean like a vampire, like a a descendant of Dracula. Uh, Dracula, he's of the Dracula family. Yeah, yeah. I am. A, no, I'm actually a. I know that you like you use that as like a like a term to describe it, but I'm actually descended from Vlad Dracul. Like I'm, you know, I don't appreciate the, I am a Drac, I'm a literal Dracula. I'm a, I'm a Dracula. Like, I know you're saying like, Oh, like a Rockefeller to mean that he's rich. No, my name is Doug Rockefeller. I am. <laughs> Maybe, you know what? I am. Do you pitch this show and call it literal Dracula? I don't, I mean, I don't, I, I think it right. I just, based on the, 
based on the title, that would have sold the show in the nineties. One title. That's all you need. The title, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't, you know, do, do, do you like the, I mean, obviously I think you were on, I think you were on Veep for maybe three, three and a half full seasons. Right? Uh, I came in season three and then I, and I was, I was on, I, so I did, uh, I, so, so four, five, six, seven. So I did four full seasons. Four, and four two full seasons. seasons You've actually done episodes. a pretty full sitcom, like a full comedy run. Mm-hmm. But those, those things where you're like, you know, we all, when we first start, we all want to get on a show. I want to get on a show. I want to get on a show. But then you don't really think about like, and you were very, it's very cool that you were on an amazing show. But what if you get stuck on a show you're not crazy about? It's like, well, I should be appreciative because it's hard to get jobs. Right. But, there, but this isn't ending anytime soon and maybe not as creatively like the, those, the, the sort of the, the twilight zone blessing and a curse. Here's what you, here's the thing you always wanted, but it's not great. And now you're stuck in it. You're like, no, this is, no, no. By the time you're done with this, you'll be 52. I'm like, Oh, no. you know, <laughs> you won't be able to do anything else because it's the nineties and everyone will only recognize you as this one character. No, like, Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, well, I did. I did win the lottery, though, right? Right, right. Yeah. You're like, oh, money, money makes you happy. Money fills the void, right? Yeah, right. Can I? Right. <laughs> huh? It is. It is really incredible to think about. You know, like when we think about like Lucille Ball, we think, oh my God, Lucille Ball was one. You know, she had I Love Lucy, and then a couple other shows. But literally. uh when you think about Julia Louis-Dreyfus, it's like pretty much everything she's almost ever done has been some kind of a huge... A huge... Like a huge... All distinct from each other, all distinct characters, and all brilliant and all like incredibly successful each in their own right. It's like, it's mind-blowing. Truly. Like that hit ratio is unfathomable. Like everything, like like Seinfeld, one of the greatest sitcoms of all time, you know. And then uh, uh, New Adventures of Old Christine, like like she's been lauded and awarded for all these shows. Yeah, you know? it's it's remarkable. And then like you you bring up Lucy, like it's 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 Julia and Lucy who are like tied for most Emmys, I think. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's that's really cool. She's I, I I was so I met her briefly. I got to present at the Emmys one of the many years that she won. <laughs> and we were walking off stage and I said, Oh, it'd be really funny if you had just gone, Ugh, I'm so sick of these, and then just thrown it on the ground. And she was like, Oh, that's pretty funny. And even just that little bit of validation like fed me for weeks. <laughs> yeah. But it's true that it just like if you're Julie Louis Drivers and you have that many awards, like at a certain point, you're like, just, you have to put some of them in the closet. This is embarrassing. Like, I, right. if I have these out, people are going to think I'm, a, you know, like, I don't, it's too much at this point. It's too much. Yeah, exactly. There's like a, a uh, uh, what do you call it? Like, like a hamper full of them, just. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Emmy hamper. I just, I, that, where they get, I just thought I put them there to get cleaned. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, that was like dirty. So, you know, I like swap them out. <laughs> But she was also on that epic season of SNL that had her and Billy Crystal and Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer and Martin Short. I mean, it was just like it. She has really been a part of so much historical television. Entered. I mean, 
one of those shows would be like, wow, she did it. She fucking did it. And it's just like thing after thing after thing after thing. Uh, she's she's uh, otherworldly. Like her approach and like you, you talk to her about anything, you know, you're like, oh, like watching her uh, as a producer on Veep and like for the table reads and that like the notes that she like, has like you know like like or the ideas you're like oh yes that's why you're Julie Louis Dreyfus your brain is tuned to the fucking super levels of comedy that are to most people like you wouldn't even think about because it's the subtlety of things you know what I mean right. and, and it's the subtlety but then also like like, like like oh what would be funny here is the height difference between Jonah and Julia. So like that's a, a level of comedy that you're like, oh yes, you see that and you <laughs> play into that at the same time as you're like the the, the dynamics. It's real. It, it was it was a full uh, comedy workshop every day on set. It, it 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 and it's also good that there are Julia Louis Dreyfuses in the world because it's very easy when you're in your own environment a lot and you kind of get comfortable with what you're doing. You're like, ah, I got I I know I got this all figured out. And then you see like a true master at something and then you go, oh, I am not that. <laughs> I, I have a lot. I don't even know if I'll ever, I, I, that is way beyond. I don't even know how a person gets to that level. Yes, exactly. Um, did I read that you went to a Jesuit high school? I did. I went to uh, you, uh, the University of Detroit Jesuit High School and Academy. You uh, would I also went to Jesuit high school. Oh, yeah. I went to two because my family moved. Did you guys have Jug as punishment? Jug. Jug. Mr. God. And then Mr. Gumble ran Jug. Ran Jug. So sometimes it would be Justice Under Gumble. <laughs> <laughs> and was your Jug just like cleaning whiteboards and banging erasers and cleaning? Ours was, was even just really just sitting in a room. So we just like sit at the desks and like kind of just be in silence. Oh, uh, we had to clean shit. Oh, we didn't. And I would, I would, I wouldn't mind getting a jug either because I developed the the ability to kind of like sleep with my eyes open. <laughs> 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 so I would just like sit there and like just go with a space, like just there, and be like, <laughs> somebody said I watched you, and it was so creepy. And I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> Do you study Latin in high school? Uh, no, I did French. Ah. And I don't speak a lick of it. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone retain their high school language? No, I don't think so. I don't. I really don't think so. The only way I could think is like maybe somebody who studied uh, like high school Spanish in California, like you have a chance to use it, you know? Yeah, but but yeah, if you're studying French in Detroit, when are you? How often are you? <laughs> it is that thing about about youth being wasted on the young because when you try to learn stuff when you're older, when you really appreciate, it's fucking harder. And when you're young, you you can absorb shit so easily, and you just don't care about much of anything. It's such a fucking weird, <laughs> fucked yeah. up curse. It really, truly is. And like the older you get, the more you're like, oh, that's. That's not just like a joke. That's the reality of things. You're watching youth is wasted on the young. They're just like, yeah, I can do a backflip if I want to. If, if not, I'll figure it out and I'll get up and I'll try again or I won't. I'll skateboard. And you're like, no, 
All of these are life-changing events for me. If any of these things happen, like if I try a backflip, they'll be like rest in peace or yeah. I'll, you know, I'll yeah. forever have a limp. Or if you completed it, <clears throat> you, that would be your peak. You know what I mean? Like there would be, that would be like, well, that's the thing that guy was going to do. And now yeah. he's got the rest of his life. I mean, like a fucking 16 year old could learn how to play eruption in like a weekend. <laughs> and then, but then, so I can imagine, you know, like people like you and I are sitting around just watching TV all the time. And people, the old people are like, don't waste you. And we're like, God, leave me alone. You know, but no, now man, I'm never like, going to be you. <laughs> now we're, now we're that guy. Now we're like, yep. do something. But, but the TV, it's, it really does translate. I mean, you're absorbing all this stuff you're watching. You're basically, it's imprinting every angle of comedy onto your brain, you were basically, because of the business that you went into, it was a masterclass in comedy and writing and performing. Truly. Like, I feel like my comic timing is based on the comic timing of swaths and hours and tomes of scripts of te- and performances of television that I've watched just so, like, uh, you know, and I have my own, I feel I have my own specific, like what I think is a, a like a perfect timing for things. But then I think I can also play what I feel uh, like, like, oh, I want to play the, the, the timing of like, uh, <laughs> like, like maybe this, I want the scene to like feel like head of the class. And so like, I know what the timing of that is. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that is another show I have not thought about in many, many years. <clears throat> oh my God. And again, this is the weird TV trivia that stuck in my head. I know that Howard Hessman started head of the class and then left. And then Billy Connolly took over. Yes, he did. And I did not realize I, as much of a comedy fan as I was in the eighties, it was very difficult. Like import comedy was, you really had to seek it out. Uh-huh. And if I had known when I first started watching when Billy Connolly took over head of the class that he was literally one of the best stand-up comedians in the fucking world. Yeah. He, just, he was popular in the United States, but not as like, he wasn't like a Eddie Murphy or a Kinnison or a Seinfeld or, you know, it was like, he's yeah. huge everywhere else in Scotland. But here we were like, oh yeah, he's pretty funny. But in but to discover him later, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's fucking unreal. Yeah. <laughs> you just didn't know. I was like, oh, well, no, this is this is the show of the guy who was uh, the uh, the guy from Police Academy. The four, <laughs> uh, well, and he was on WKRP in Cincinnati, too. He was Cincinnati, there. Yes, yeah. indeed. But that's where I think now young performers have so much advantage is that, you know, we thought we had it. We thought we had like this whole world opened up to us because of cable tell, because of domestic cable television. And now people can literally watch everything from everywhere all the time. Anything, like any topic that you want to like think about or talk about, you can put on YouTube, and there are fifty people who have like weekly videos on. And you're like, oh yeah, I can learn anything or know anything, you know. Uh, now that's not to say that everybody doing it is like doing it at the highest level, but still <laughs> the, the access is there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As someone who's watched a lot of guitar videos, trying to learn how to play certain things. I'm like, I don't know if this, I'm just assuming this person knows what they're talking about. Right. It has, okay. It has 11,000 views. I guess it's okay. It must be decent. This, you must, know? Be, this must be what it is. That's good. <laughs> like, I don't really know, but 
you know, the what we had to swap out from having people tell us what to watch mm-hmm. is now we have to learn how to know what to choose to watch. Right. And that's tricky. Yes, exactly. Because they can put anything there and you're like, well, this, this is the top one. So it's got to be it's got to be right. It's like that. Right? Red- the top is always the best. Right. Yeah. But, you know, the top video is also like a duck farting on a baby. No, I know that. But. You know, like it's all—it's got to be the best, right? Top is the best. Top that's is the best. best, and I mean, I love duck farting and baby. So, that's... you know, you and I could spend the next ten years hashing out beat for beat, note for note, like just some sort of epic comedy piece that we then put up, and it could get like four hundred views. And duck farting on baby gets like a billion views. A billion views by the weekend. So this leads me to my next question about comedy writing, which is how do you know when you're being too precious? It feels like sometimes when the things that you're so precious about every detail, you want it to be, Oh, it's going to make this. So, and then those, those bits where you just like, ah, you just throw something away. And then all of a sudden it just becomes the thing, you know, it becomes an amazing thing. What do you think that is? Well, I think it's when you work in a vacuum sometimes you are you're writing and performing for yourself and that's a good thing but being precious about it is a bad thing because in practice it's like somebody being a doctor like oh well i know that performing this surgery like this is how the book says so that's what it's got to be this is but then like the person's still flatlining so you're like well that's you got to do something else here it's not this this procedure isn't working you know, I feel it's like that where you like, it's great to be as prepared as you need to be or want to be. Um, but some, and sometimes also there's something to completely giving up to the moment and be like, I know that when we get here, I'm going to feel what this thing is, is and then we're going to find what that is. Right. But I think when it comes to like being precious, it's wanting to like maintain control, but then like you're faced with a, a thing where like it does it like it doesn't translate, you know, every, so we're talking, we're talking about like a subjective, right. uh, Medium. So, uh, and, and and if it was just for you, if your art is, is truly just for you, then sure. You can be as precious as you want to be, but you're missing out. I feel from input in like, like by being, or from not being, uh, having any flow to it, not being a little rubbery, to allow uh, input and change, you know? Because going from Second City where you're doing everything in the moment and it's sort of like, well, everything that happens is the way it happens. Yep. And we're all, you know, it's like you can sort of control what people are focusing on on the stage by who comes out, how loud they are, like what the, but Mm -hmm. then you go to a completely different, which you would think is the same kind of thing. You're doing comedy, but a completely different set of tools when you're making like Detroiters where all of a sudden you're thinking about like perspective and what's the camera focused on and is this a good angle for this type of joke and what's in the background, you know, how did that change your kind of tool set? What did you learn translating from stage sketch to, I mean, I wouldn't say that Detroiters was, it was a, it was a sketch ish show. There was, Uh there were through lines, but there were sketches. Uh, I still have the Devereaux wigs theme in my head. Uh, (laughs) Devereaux. <laughs> I mean, it's a ringtone. That should be a ringtone. Um, I mean, you should. What did you learn in that process? 
Um, well, kind of going from Second City and like sort of like uh, improv and like, like using improv to write sketch and those sort of things is you had the benefit of like, even if you were like, you, you could in those moments, you'd be like, all right, well, you could bring a written scene. You're like, I know that I want this to go like that, you know, uh, or you could bring a scene that was like, like beats. And you're like, okay, well, I, I know this is the, the premise, but then like your character is this, your character is that, your character is this, or even this is a premise and there's a bunch of people at this bar and like the idea is that the TVs go out and now people have to finally like look each other and talk and like that's your premise, go with it, you know? And y- y- your, uh, your sort of test is like, is the audience laughing? Because you could be like, it's so good to me, hey. I'm laughing at this and we're in the room laughing at this and then we do, do it on stage and they're like, uh. you're like, uh-oh, we it's got seven more minutes of this. <laughs> like, and you don't tell like no audience you're wrong this is very good <laughs> you know so i think that uh, that humbling uh we did like, like kind of like is part of our uh dna so like when it, when it came to like writing detroiters we still had that same sort of thing where it's like you could be like uh I got, I'm picturing this joke. It's really funny. And then like, nobody laughs and you're, or they're like, or they like, ha- they laugh like this, you know, <laughs> and you're like, Oh, uh, well, okay. Maybe, you know, like that sort of, but then sometimes you're like, you don't get how I'd see this. Trust me, this will be good. And then like, you can also like rely on the trust of them to be like, all right, well, you really do, uh, see something here and I trust you as a comedian or I trust you as a writer. So like, let's put that thing in the show and then we'll see. Uh, and then like on set, you're like, Oh, actually this does work, you yeah. know, or, or like, Oh, it doesn't work. But all we need to do is have the, you, you, this works. This maybe we're working a wide and then you have, you have like three people there ignoring him entirely. And that makes it work. You, right. you know, uh, it's sort of like just, with things like Detroiters where we had, it wasn't just like me, there there was Tim and there was Joe and and Zach. So all of us are putting our minds to this thing and all of us are checking and balancing each other. That sort of helped us to not be precious on things and this sort of like trust in some things and knowing that once we get to that point, we can fix anything if need be. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
you need Indeed. Yeah, and and I think that I think exactly what you're describing is why I hate writing alone because even stand up, you're, you're not you 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 do produce the material alone, but it is but it is a relationship that you form with an audience mm-hmm. who will then sort of you know you get the feedback from the audience. So it's so stand up is weirdly collaborative, even though it doesn't seem. It's just the audience is just con- they're not contributing the jokes, right. but they do contribute the direction, you know, mm-hmm. and having a good ensemble of, you know, at least one other person to be able to have that trust. And, you know, like that, I just, I don't understand people who are like, I just need to be alone to write. It's like, no, how do you not, how do you, how do you know? Like, don't, don't, how do you not like, don't you love the dog pile of like someone else jokes and then you top it and then they top it and then you top it. And then like, that's, that's so much fun. So much fun. And like th- th- then it doesn't feel weird to be like, I, I, sometimes I feel like if I write something and I laugh at it, then I all make them, I'm automatically self-conscious. of Oh, do I think I'm the shit? So then I'm, then I'm like, Oh, but you, but like, of course you, ha- I have to like enjoy it, but it feels better to have it confirmed before I put it in front of someone else. Yeah. You know? So I feel like that sort of dogpiling is so necessary. Like I, I, I want someone to beat my joke. Please beat it. Right. It only helps it. You yeah. know? And yeah, then I that, get the credit for it anyway. Somebody's like, "Oh, that's brilliant." And I was like, "Yeah, I came up with it." That well, that and that and that's that's sort of the that's it, it is a school that I subscribe to, which is the comedy fan performer. So that it's not just like, "Hey, man, I don't care who gets the best joke in this group, but just someone get the best joke." You know, like just that it come, just that it happens. I just, as a comedy fan, I just want to be a part of it and see it happen. I don't care if I say it or you say it or she says it or that guy says it. Like someone just say it so that it's the funniest that it can be, whoever that is. Yep, I agree. That's 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 my uh, credo as well. Are you writing something right now? Are you writing anything right now? Uh, and I'm getting ready to to uh, start writing a couple things uh, collaboratively. So like. Not yet. They're in the pitch, in the pitches. Got it. Got it. Got it. Did you have, uh, were you, did you, were you hired as an actor for Werewolves Within or? Yes, I was hired as an actor and then I I was a producer on it as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What did you, what did you get to do as a producer? Uh, Kind of like notes on scripts or like in in certain scenes, like I didn't feel uh, like, like if something was, I was like, oh, the comedy of this requires this moment. I didn't feel like bad being like, ooh, we're missing this. We got to do this. You, yeah. you know? And like, of course, not stepping on Josh's toes because Josh uh, is a brilliant director. Uh, 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 Josh Rubin, who directed yeah. Rules. Who also him. did Scare Me. Who did Scare Me, which is yeah. amazing, brilliant. But I also didn't feel any of that sort of, that, that, that feeling when you're like, oh, I, I, could, I could take the, I, it's like a little bit of best of both worlds, right? Where, if, if I could have a micro view of just my character at times, and I could also like look at the overall and like be like, oh, this moment doesn't work how we're doing it. I don't think and I can talk to Josh about it and not be like, excuse me, or like a snooty actor and be like, no, my, you know, you know, it's like I'm coming from a place of like feeling partially responsible for the movie <laughs> and like my name is on as a producer, so I've like got to give feedback and I've got to kind of feel through it you know uh <laughs> well that's cool because i think i think a lot of people don't realize that producer can mean a lot of things like yeah. you can get a producing credit from just 
suggesting an ad. Oh, why don't you hire this person? But if you get them, then I get a, okay, fine. You get a producer, like versus people who are very hands-on. But it, so, and often when you, I think part of the juggling act is how do you make sure that all of the voices in the room who have a say at least all kind of have the same goal in mind right? <laughs> with the direction of the piece. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, right. That's the question. Right. And like, and like, like the tears of producer and like that sort of thing. And, and like, Hmm. Being aware of yourself within like the, the structure of it and like taking, trying to take your ego out of it. And, and like the, sa- the same thing, like uh, of, of I don't care who gets the joke as long as we get the joke. Yeah, that same sort of thing. Like as being like being an actor and a producer in something, where it's like it doesn't. I, I don't care that like the scene makes me look like the best. I just want the scenes to be the best. And like as a producer, I feel more free to do that instead, instead of being an actor and being like, "Ooh, can I give you a line read?" Because like that's you know, <laughs> like ooh, uncomfortable. How about this? Woo! Can you do it like that? Uh, why? Why are you? I don't know why you're producer. I'm sorry. Producer. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't notice the produ- I didn't notice the hi. My name is producer. Name. <laughs> it's a little name tag with a little badge under it. <laughs> the movie looks great, by the way. And I know uh, you mentioned Josh, and then it was written by Mishna Wolf, mm-hmm. which was adapted from a, a VR game. Um, but it and. Game adaptation is tricky, can be very tricky, but this movie looks really fun. It just looks like a great, fun, fucked up werewolf kind of comedy horror movie. Yeah, it it, it really is. Like, uh, it's I, I feel this this movie is gonna is gonna I I, I feel it's gonna do well. It's gonna be re- really loved because it's such a unique uh, sort of environment the movie takes place in and the, the vibe and the energy of it mm-hmm. is something that like kind of does harken back to like those movies that we grew up watching but also like with like like a little bit of like clue and yeah. like a little bit you know uh but it's also very now not not now as in being like everybody's on their cell phones and like this but like now in, <laughs> in that you know. it's a little cheeky it's like it's got it's just got like the right amount of cheek to it exactly exactly is there a dracula in it i can't tell you that fuck so there's there definitely a vampire but you don't know if he's a dracula can't assume he's a not every vampire is a Dracula. Every vampire is a Dracula. A lot of vampires are not Draculas, Your Highness. Okay, we're not fucking the royal family. You know, we're not the fucking Windsor of vampires over here. <laughs> fucking, God, I don't know why this character's so mad. Fuck. Well, you know, he's been around fucking a long time. Draculas. I'm so sick of their fucking. They're just so entitled. The fucking Dra- these Draculas are so entitled to my blood. <laughs> I don't think there's anything more fun than a than a good comedy horror movie. It's just every every element because you get the comedy and then you get jump scares and then you get the gross scares and then you just get I don't know. It's to me, it's just always going to be the kind of movie I would want to make. Yeah, and it was re- it was really fun to get to do uh, and like get to have like those sort of moments of uh, uh, if, like like to, to get to play out for group and like those like suspenseful moments. And then you like kind of break that with like a joke 
or like those sort of i i'm i'm the uh the forest ranger uh who's come to this town so i get to have those like moments like hmm what could this mean but i get to play those like real and fun i i, I loved it so much oh that's fantastic man i'm so i'm so happy for you and i'm so you know it's just it's so great to see people's careers blossom it's just such a magical thing when everything fucking lines up and it makes me so happy when talented people like connect and they and it, and it works because to me that just means like it works it works nice funny people work on things that people like you know it's like there, that means that there's a real nice balance in the world and that the business is working the way it should be and that that always it, it fills me with a kind because it you know we there's there's a lot of rejection and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of hurt and pain in the business and you never know what's going to get made you never know what's going to get follow through you know it's just it's hard and so it's not it's nice when it works yes yes indeed do you uh uh do you think you would ever um I don't know like teach an improv class or teach, you know, just like for fun, you know, like share some sketch writing knowledge or is that anything you've ever thought about doing? I, w- I would. Like, I used to teach improv uh, when I, in Detroit and then in Chicago. Uh, well, I actually didn't really teach in Chicago, but I taught at, when I moved out here, I was teaching improv and, 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 uh, and sketch, but I think I'd like to do it, you know, here and there now, just kind of, it's always like teaching is always like a great way to like kind of check in on yourself too. And like watching people learn it is a way to also be like, Oh, that's something I'm missing as well. You, you know, like it's, it's always like a nice uh, or like an interesting sort of reflection. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I'd, I'd be down. I, I, I think I'd enjoy it. Last two questions. Number one, what song did you do on comedy jam? Cause I saw that you did comedy jam. <laughs> oh, I did. I did ballroom blitz with Tia Carrera. Oh shit! That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was really fun. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't know if there was one or two seasons of that show, but I did the first season. Oh yeah, and it, and it was, was it one of the most fun things you've ever done? One of the most fun things I've ever done. And my high school, like one of my best friends in high school, was in the band. I didn't even know he played in that band. And I was like, I was like, Jeff. He was like, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. He plays the violin in the band. And so, (laughs) oh, my God, it's the dude who can sleep with his eyes open. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm like, I'm asleep right now. (laughs) (laughs) So anything else you want to plug? Anything else you want to promote? Anything else? Anything else I can do to help your amazing career? Please. What? My goodness. Uh, I mean, uh, check out my, my Instagram. I post on there every now and then. (laughs) <laughs> the Sam Richardson, uh, my Twitter, Sam Richardson, uh, the tomorrow war, uh, comes out on Amazon prime, uh, uh, July 2nd. Oh, that looks awesome. By the way, it's, it's really fun. It's, it's like a real huge, fun popcorn action movie. You know, uh, that's, that's that I'm really excited for that. And well, then, yeah, yeah. And it rolls within, uh, uh, June 25th in theaters and July 2nd on VOD. It's so nice to hear that phrase again in theaters. Yeah. We have yeah. a few less of them here in Los Angeles. I don't know what city you're in, but in Los Angeles, we have a few less of them than we used to have. Yeah. I, I think they'll come back around. <laughs> yes, indeed. 
I think so too. All right, uh, Sam, it's wonderful to talk to you. And uh, yeah, and I'll, I don't know, you know, uh, I guess if there's a big Comedy Central reunion at some point, someday we'll recreate that magical photo. Yes. Get everyone together again. <laughs> yes, please. Good to see you, Sam. Good to see you, Chris. Bye. Bye. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. Thousands, not million. $200,000. Because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The GOAT. Stream free on Amazon Freebie or Prime Video.